This morning we'll begin in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Beginning in the verse 33, John 13, 33, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I say to the Jews where I am going, you cannot come, so now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. This is, by this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The first thing in this short passage you want to take note of is that he said he addresses it, little children. You say, well, why does he say little children like that? Remember, Jesus addressed this when he said, unless you humble yourself and become little children, There is no way you'll enter the kingdom of God. And so he addresses those little children here, those people who hear the voice of Jesus and respond. And he says, where I am, he says, a new commandment, I give you that you love one another. But then he goes deeper when he says, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Uh, the example of Jesus is our pattern of what he's talking about here. Remember last week we read in Philippians chapter 2, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who laid down his life for us, who put us before himself. And this is what is talking about here. In uh, John 15, Jesus says in verses 12 and 17, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he says in verse 17, And this is my commandment, that you love one another. And this commandment is repeated several times in uh, the first John. This is Jesus' new commandment. He says all the other commandments are wrapped up in this. I remember yesterday, the day before, I was reading a little bit of European history and American history. I had a question in my mind about something in history. And it kind of led me down a rabbit hole, so to speak. And what it ended up happening was is that I ended up saying to myself, I, I, I discovered that two countries that have been at war with each other in Christendom, the country of England and the country of France, uh, in the last thousand years, they had nine wars with each other. And a couple of them they were involved with were over here. And one of them was the French and Indian War, the 1750s, which was before 
the United States war with England for uh, uh, independence, that whole thing. And it was between the French and the French settlers, France and the French settlers over here, and England and the English settlers over here. And of course there was Indians on both sides. And the fight was over who the, who the land belonged to that they were claiming. England was claiming, well, it's over here, and France is claiming, well, it's over here, but yet it didn't really belong to either one. It belonged to the American Indians. And all this in the guise of Christendom, of people professing to be Christians and fighting over land that didn't even belong to them, and just this whole idea of, you know, this greed and this lust for, for land and power and struggle. And that's what all those wars between England and France, if you, if you take a quick look at them, they're all fighting over these things, you know. And it's just not that. It's If you look at the, the history of Europe throughout the last 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years of Christendom in Europe, it's all the same thing. It's all this fighting over power and struggle. And yet, carrying the cross of Jesus through all these things. It's pretty obvious to see that history shows us, even through American history up to this present time, that Christendom and true Christianity, biblical Christianity, are two different things. And <clears throat> it's important for people to know and understand that. Because they can look at the history of Christendom and say, well, this is just a lot of hypocrisy and nonsense and a big counterfeit. How, how could there be a God doing all this stuff? Well, the fact of the matter is, that's why we read Peter says that judgment will begin at the house of God. And if it begins first with us, what will be the end? Of the sinner and the ungodly. Jesus' command is very clear. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, when he begins his teaching on the New Covenant, and new teachings with the New Covenant, love your enemies. Do good to those who do evil to you. To bless those who curse you. And to those who and to and to pray for those who spitefully use you, this is the mind of Christ. This is the mind that Paul says in Philippians: "Let this mind be in you, that was also in Christ Jesus." Humility and the love of Jesus. In Paul's letter to Timothy, he says, "You have not received the spirit of fear again." to slavery, to bondage. But you have received the spirit of power, love, and self-control. That's indications of true spirituality. True spirit spirituality. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of love. And Jesus said He's our guide. And what would He be guiding us into? The mind of Jesus. The love of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, 
that's the love of Jesus that with which he which he loved us compels us compels us to what to follow him to love like him and you can see as we look at ourselves in the mirror and not point our finger anywhere else but in the mirror we begin to see our own shortcomings and yes even hypocrisies and the challenges as God's word shows us and guides us in the truth about spirituality, in the truth about real Christianity. We sing the song, and they will know that we are Christians by our love. And there are times that we've sung that song. I remember as a young Christian singing that song and feeling like really cringing inside because... That's not who I was. That's not the testimony I was bringing out. Not, on, not only to outsiders, but even in my own house. Charity begins at home. And we began to see that maturity and growth as a Christian is hearing these words of Jesus. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And that means here too, what we're talking about here. And this is not a message in the Word of God of condemnation, but to bring conviction to us. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would bring conviction to us. Conviction that we're not living right. We don't have a good, a godly attitude towards others. It's easy to love others when they're loving us. And that's why Jesus takes us down this road about those who don't love us that are not good to us, not kind, they're downright hateful, spiteful, slanderous. That's the extreme, but it also includes those who love us. Because sometimes we're not even nice to people who love us and are being loving to us. We're feeling grumpy. And somebody comes to them and, and, and we turn their lovingness with grumpiness. This is a message of true spirituality, according to what Jesus is saying here. This is my commandment. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then he says, this is my commandment. He narrows it down from commandments to commandment. To love God, yes, and to love one another, just as I have loved you. Jesus gave all for us. And he calls us to give all for one another. And to return even when someone does evil to us with good. We don't like that in our human nature. It doesn't appeal to anything in our human nature. It doesn't appeal to our bodies. But this is a matter of the spirit. <clears throat> I read a couple things in 1 Peter today. And the one... First Peter chapter 1. 
and verse 18. First Peter 1.18 Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and spot. He indeed was ordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. And since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brothers, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and remains forever. Peter is talking here about true conversion, being born of the Spirit, a changed life. And it says this purification of the heart, purifying your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. And this is where purity of heart comes from. The cleansing of the blood of Jesus. To be able... for the, We can try to love people that hate us in our own strength. And, you know, it can go take us a little ways, but good luck. There has to be a change on the inside. So that it's real. This is talking about sincere love, not a, a, a religious love, a, a show of love, uh, a try to love. This is real. This is a change on the inside. And this is what Peter's talking about when he's talking about being born again. He's talking about a true conversion where there is a, a purity of heart. There's a cleansing on the inside. Jesus talked about this. When he said about the religions of his time, he says they put on a show of religion, of loving each other in a show on the outside. He said, but inside was all kinds of corruption. He says, cleanse first the inside, and behold, all things will become clean to you. He is talking about an inner cleansing that can only come through what Christ did on the cross. The blood of Jesus, believing that message and embracing that, the Holy Spirit will come in and do this work of cleansing inside of us. A purity of heart. Insincere love for the brethren. Not just a lot of I love you, I love you, but having, you know, all these bad feelings towards each other and talking behind each other's back. And I've been parts of groups like that and been taken up in that hypocrisy myself at times. That hypocrisy spreads. Spreads. I'm sorry. Beware of the hypocrisy. I mean, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus warned us to beware of being 
fake plastic in our Christianity. Not being sincere and real in our hearts, in our soul. That this is real. That this is a change on the inside. If we don't know what that looks like, we look at Jesus. We look at the early church and the sincerity that they had for one another. It says they were of one heart and one soul and one mind. They got it. Throughout history, there was groups here and there that got it. But then we have the other side. We have the mystery Babylon being driven by greed and and lust and the desire for many things that choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful, yet they hold on to the name of Jesus and they profess Jesus. But the question is, is it real or not? Is it real? And we have to ask that for ourselves. This is a, a personal thing about each one of us, to look at ourselves. So is, have I embraced the blood of Jesus in my heart and walking in a way that's sincere? Have, have I had a sincere change of heart? And am I walking in the steps of Jesus in this way? Because I think that what Paul says, if I speak with the tongue of men and angels and have not love, it's fake. And, I, and if I'm praying all these prayers and I'm praying for faith to move mountains, and I don't have the love of Jesus working in my heart, it's fake. It's a counterfeit. And if I'm walking in a way, he says, that is doing all these religious spirits, quote, religious things, Christian things, and have not love. It's fake. It's not real. And that's what we see in the history of Christendom. This is not being judgmental towards these groups. This is an observation of comparison between the facts of history and what Jesus taught. Because there was this profession in all these nations, including ours at one time, of, quote, being a Christian nation, and being part of this thing we call Christendom, and using the Bible to some degree or another to teach generations after generations. But then you see mixed in with this, that there's not embracing of some of the things that Jesus taught. You know? It says if we give all of our goods to the poor, and don't have love. It's fake. So how can you give all your goods to the poor and not have love? And Jesus pointed out there's other motivations that people do things. They can embrace pieces of Christendom, pieces of the teachings of Jesus, which Jesus said, we must deny ourselves, forsake all, pick up the cross, and follow him. This is an embracing of all that Jesus taught and all that Jesus is.
to embrace what Jesus is as the pattern for our life. This is the guidance of the Holy Spirit as we read the Word of God. This is not my opinion. This is what the, the Holy Spirit teaches. To love each other, even our enemies. To lay down our lives for one another, just like Jesus did for us. Not my opinion, but the opinion of others. This is the words of Jesus, the Apostle. And so when Peter here talks about conversion, he talks about love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, been born of the Spirit, been born of God. We come into this world born of man and a woman. Jesus said there needs to be another birth. In order to, to be empowered in all of this, there must be a second birth. And this second birth, Peter talks about it, after he talks about loving one another fervently with a pure heart, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, being born according to the word of God. This is how our hearts are purified. This is how it becomes real and pure and sincere. It becomes real. But we can say, I've been converted, but you know, I'm not experiencing some of what we're talking about here. Well, this is where growing as a Christian comes in. Is hearing these areas that maybe we've been a little resistant to because they don't appeal to us or they're not in our comfort zone and we don't really want to do these things you know because that it fights against our flesh well like I said this is where following the guidance of the spirit or as Paul says being led by the spirit comes in Paul says that um, those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. The Holy Spirit is leading us. Now the, the question comes to us. Are we following His lead? They teach in dancing classes. I've heard that they teach that you have a leader and a follower in some of those dances and everything, you know? And so that if the lead, if the follower doesn't follow the leader, they're going to be stepping on each other's feet. So there has to be a leader and a follower in that. And so you can see the problem, you know, that where the confusion and the problem and the corruption come in. So we don't follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. We begin to follow our flesh, our will. So to speak. Because our will and our flesh are, are hinged together. And we must lay down our will in order to embrace the will of God. That's what Jesus talked about when he said denying yourself. Denying our will. And our will is not always to love the others. It's not convenient. It's not comfortable. Especially when they don't appreciate it. 
I have heard parents say, I did all this stuff for my kids when they were young. I, I, I spared no expense. I, we made, my wife and I made all these sacrifices. And my kids never appreciate it. And all blah, 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 blah. The love of Jesus is not looking for something in return. They talk about that sacrificial love they gave for their children. Where did it get me? They don't appreciate it. They're not, they're not showing appreciation for it. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that as a Christian, ultimately we look for our appreciation and our acceptance and our approval from God Himself. And if we have his appreciation, it doesn't matter if our enemies aren't jump, doing jumping jacks when we love them in return for what they're doing to us. It doesn't matter. We're seeking God's approval. We're seeking his you know, acceptance in the way we're living. First Peter chapter three. Verse eight. It says, Finally, all of you be of one mind. There it is again. Be of one mind. That's the mind of Christ. People say, Well, you know, how can a church come to unity? One person sees it one way or another? We must start by having the same mind towards one another. Let the same mind be in us that's in Christ Jesus. And it goes on talking about it. What the same mind is. Having compassion for each other. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted and courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. That's in the church as well as outside of the church. But on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. We were called in Christ to return evil with good, to bless those who curse. This is part of the calling of Jesus. But the one thing I want you to take notice in all of this, is that this follows right after the teaching of husbands and wives in marriage. Because, you know, and not just in marriage, but in all personal relationships that we have with friends, children, parents, extended relatives, <clears throat> that, you know, there's a lot that goes on biting each other. and <clears throat> The book of James says, Take heed that you don't bite and devour each other, lest you be destroyed by each other. And, I, and some of the worst things I've seen people to do to each other amongst relatives and family members and even husbands and wives. 
you know, the, the smart aleck talk and the sarcasm and the, and the uh, putting each other down and cutting each other down and making fun of each other and publicly, I mean, in front of each other and behind each other's backs and things get back to each other. I heard you said this about me and just this firestorm of contention in, in relationships of association. And so, this is where it comes, the rubber meets the road. To have the mind of Jesus, even in the house, even in the family, even in family gatherings with extended relatives, and you know, and how about people we work with? You know, when we work with people, and especially when they're under our, their authority, we're where they're on the same level as us, authority-wise, and you're trying to work together, and you're trying to have cooperation, mutual cooperation, and or you know you're telling people that are under your authority what to do, and you're and people that are over you expect you to get them to do what's right, and you know all these things come into play. Let that mind of Jesus stay in you, the mind of Christ. The Apostle Paul says that we have the mind of Christ. If we're in Christ, we have the mind of Christ. We possess it, but what are we doing with it? <clears throat> if God gives us something and we're not using, it's not going to do us any good. If we don't embrace it, if we don't live it out, it's not going to have any benefit to us. And now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Faith works by love, we've read. There is a message in this that we can easily neglect. This is not a new message. As the Apostle John said, this is not a new message. That we love one another. Because from the beginning of Jesus' teachings forward, you hear it. And the apostles taught it. And John taught it. This is not a new message. It's a new commandment <coughs> within the new covenant. The mind of Jesus. And this is not a new message here. But it's a message that so often fades away. And Jesus says, if we love each other the way he loves us, his joy will remain in us, and our joy will be full. Not happy and smiling necessarily on the outside. There's something happy on the inside of us. I remember George Mueller talking about, in his preaching, talking about a question that people asked him about how he prepared for sermons. How did he study the Word of God to prepare for sermons? He says, I never study the Word of God to prepare for sermons. He says, I study the Word of God that my spirit will be fed. And that my spirit will be happy on the inside. 
He says, because then I have, my spirit is happy. And that joy is in me. He says, then I'm ready to minister to others. He says, if I'm not free, how can I preach freedoms to others if I'm not freedom to others if I'm not free? That our joy might be full. We can preach the new life to those who are in darkness. But if it's not real, if, if, if we're not having joy in our own hearts, how is it going to look real to others? Jesus said, This is how men shall know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. It is one of the main testimonies of the truth of the of the message of the gospel, that this message is real. <clears throat> A lot of people don't believe it's real. And one of the reasons is, is what they're seeing in Christendom. These, these nations professing that they're followers of Jesus... Yet they're killing each other. As I've mentioned before, one of the strangest things about the Civil War that was fought in this country over slavery is that the number one item requested by the soldiers on both sides was a pocket New Testament. This. Yes. And yet they were shooting at each other on both sides. There was a desire to have peace with God while they were killing each other. Something wrong. There's something wrong in Christendom. And that's what we come, it comes to the head when judgment begins to come to this earth. It talks about a prostitute in the book of Revelation, Mystery Babylon, mother all prostitutes. And abominations of the earth. And it talks about this prostitute becoming wealthy with the kings of the earth. It's a fake. And this message is about not being part of something that's counterfeit and hypocritical, but being real. And this is the teaching of Jesus about being real in our hearts. not being a fake. He who does not love does not know God. Now when John says this, he's not saying, you know, I remember when I was a kid, one of the songs of the Beatles was, all you need is love. And it became a thing on t-shirts and everything else. But what that love actually was talking about was not what Jesus was talking about. Because what Jesus was talking about was the kind of love that he loved us with. Because that message on the t-shirts when I was a kid was about, you know, just carnal love. Loving people who love us. You know, make love, not war was a big sign. And so, 
The love of Jesus is different. Christian love is different. And there's a distinguishing between the two. Love will cover a multitude of sins. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Provoke one another to love and good works in the church. In the book of Hebrews talks about. Not returning evil for evil. Or cursing for cursing. But instead, on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this. The calling of Jesus. And his commandment. A new commandment, Jesus said, I give to you. To love one another as I have loved you. So all men shall know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It is an evidence that we're being led by the Spirit. And it will abide forever. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your fathers in heaven. What do you think that he means when he says, let your light so shine before men? The sincerity of heart, the purity of heart of the new man that he's put in us to walk in it and that light will shine. That light will shine. It will be a lighthouse. We live in a very dark world. And honestly, it's since the time I've been on the earth, it seems to have gotten a lot darker. And stranger. And corrupted. That's from my viewpoint. And I think there's a lot of other people who, at my age, you see, and older and younger, that see it the same way over the course of time. This world has become a dark place. We need to light, let our light shine by hearing the words of Jesus as his sheep and following him. That's what I have, brothers. So I'll open it up for Dan. I'm going to start with you and the other brothers. This morning we'll begin in Exodus 17. Exodus 17, verses 1 to 7. <clears throat> then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim, where there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. 
And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, and the people that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? <clears throat> After all that God did to bring them out of Egypt, we see here that <clears throat> they forgot the power of God. And when they were in need and they were thirsty, and their flesh was thirsty, their bodies, they began to complain. And they went after Moses. And Moses was just a spokesman for God, but they went after Moses, and they, you can see the grumbling, and God provided water for them. So what was God doing in this? And why, was, why did he wait to make them go through a period of thirst? And then he brought water out of a rock. I mean, you ever try to bring water out of a rock? I mean, it's impossible, right? So this was a, the power of God. And so then, we go to the next place. There's an Exodus 16, the chapter before that. And verses 1 to 4. And they journeyed from Elam... And all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the, this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. Verses 11 to 15 then. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quails, from up, quails came up that evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted there, on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance, as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. In these two passages, 
we see pretty much the same thing. Where God lets them get hungry. And in the first one we read, God let them get thirsty. And, you know, when you're in a wilderness, in a scrubland, and you're moving from place to place, it would be foolish for you to plow, you know, to plant things. You can't. You, This is pretty much like what Jesus said about the birds of the air. They don't plow, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't have any barns to store in. But they must wait daily, day by day, for food from God. God feeds them without them ever plowing, without them ever sowing, planting, reaping, storing, none of that. And so now, he's teaching that to his people. He's teaching that to his people of old, and he's teaching that to his people today. God's people have got to look to him for everything. Not just their physical needs, but for everything. Everything we need for life and godliness is found in Christ Jesus. But if we lose sight of that, we become helpless, we feel helpless, we feel hopeless, we feel dark, we feel discouraged, even depressed, anxious. You see... This is what faith is all about. And day after day, after the manna came down, and it came down for 40 years. And even though sometimes they got tired of it, they came to expect it. And so here it is here, a clear picture of what we need to do. When Jesus was asked by his disciples, teach us to pray, he taught them the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread is in the middle of that. A looking to God for our physical needs, for our emotional needs, for our spiritual needs, for overcoming sin and corruption and our bad habits and our former way of life. There's a look to Him. He has the answers. And you may say, well, why doesn't he give them to me? He has given to us, uh, them to us. But maybe we're not in a place to hear that. Until we come to him in a place of humility and need and frustration. I can't do it myself. I need help. You see the children of Israel, they were out in the wilderness. There was nowhere to get water. There was nowhere to get food. They couldn't plow. They couldn't do everything, anything. There's nowhere to get meat. And God just rained it down from the sky. He sent blue quails in from the sea. He, he made water come out of a rock. All supernatural occurrences. The Apostle Peter says that we are kept by the power of God through faith. Through faith in what? Through faith in Christ. Through faith in God. Through faith in His power. To believe God. To believe what he's done to us when we're born again, that he's given us this new creation inside of us. He's given us his Holy Spirit, that we can walk with him, that we can live the Christian life, that we can walk in the steps of Jesus. It's not impossible. It's not absurd. It's the Word of God. This is God's way. This is his will. And you see the twisted minds of the Israelites here. 
What'd you do? Bring us out here to kill us? You know, all that work you did in Egypt was bring... Yeah, God did all that to you so he could bring you out here and drop you on your head. That that makes you think of you know, these people had a very perverted viewpoint of God. And so they did. Satan's been perverting the minds of people about God from the very beginning in the book of Genesis. Yeah, God just doesn't want to eat Jack, you to eat that fruit because he knows that you're going to be a lot like him. You're going to be equal with him. Like, you know, you'd be wise like him. And he just perverted it. Like God was withholding something good from them. Like God was being, cheating them in some way. Perverting the will of God. Perverting the way that God directs us. And that's what's happening in the world we live in today. That somehow, to develop some sort of suspicion about the way and the will of God, and about the Word of God. I've seen some people show me some things on the internet about these things trying to discredit the Bible and everything. And I can tell you, every one of them that I read, and I haven't read them all, but the ones that people have shown me, have shown, the one thing that's proved to me is these people didn't spend a lot of time reading the Bible. They say such silly things. They're obviously, you know, not well thought out, not well read. And certainly misguided. <clears throat> so the next one I will just read from. It says in Nehemiah, you have give you gave them bread from heaven for hunger, and brought them water out of a rock for thirst. And just again a re a reminder of what God did to the Israelites back at this time. And you see how God provided for all their physical needs. But he made them be in need for a while. And sometimes God allows that to happen in our lives. Where we feel frustrated with ourselves. We feel like, Lord, I'm not, I'm not living a life that looks a lot, of like, lot like the life of Jesus. I'm falling short. Yes, we do fall short. And that's why we need a helper. And we need the Holy Spirit. And God gives us the Holy Spirit. But we have to walk with Him by faith. We need to believe this message. That God is with us and in us. We've been, we read in Ephesians this morning that we've been built by God to be a spiritual house in Christ. The next one We read is out of the Gospel of John. <clears throat> Gospel of John, chapter 6. John 6, 25-35 And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? 
And Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has sent, or has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do, that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is, excuse me, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now this message is for all. It's for the unbeliever, those that are burdened down with their sins and have never come to Christ. And it is a message to the Christian also. And you see here a parallel with the manna the Israelites, they bring it up to him. And he says, he's talking here about spiritual food. He said, those people, they all died in the wilderness. They ate that spiritual, they ate that manna that came down from the sky. He says, but they all died in the wilderness. He says, but, he says, the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, God promised to give us spiritual food. And that spiritual food, he says, he says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. And they say, Lord, give us this bread. And he says, I am that bread. He who comes to me will never hunger, will never thirst. Because this world is a wilderness of darkness, just like the Israelites were in. And we see our need. We see our need before we come, before we are a Christian and we were converted to Christ. And then we see our need as a Christian too. And we see the way Christ lived. We're told to walk in his footsteps. To walk in the footsteps of Jesus? Isn't that a little bit extreme, a tall order? But that's why we need spiritual food. That's why we need this spiritual food. This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. Believe in Him for what? Believe in Him for what He promised to give us. To give us the spiritual strength. To give us His Holy Spirit. You take physical bread into you, and it goes inside of you and gives you physical strength. Christ is the, the bread of life. Eternal life. And He says, you take that into you. And He gives us His Spirit when we believe this message of eternal life. And it is not a one-shot deal where it's one and done. It is a daily thing. Give us this day our daily bread. Strengthen us daily. And you see, just like the Israelites had to look to the sky every day 
for the hope of food for tomorrow and for today and tomorrow and the next day. But we need to eat today. Tomorrow, God will take care of tomorrow. Let's just gather for today. And they are only allowed to gather for one day at a time. Just like we're told not to focus on tomorrow, today. And look to God for today. And to walk through today, having faith in the Son of God. This is the work of God, to believe in Him who He sent. And if we come to Him, He says we will never be hungry, and we will never be thirsty. Now, the Israelites, they were, they were not hungry or thirsty, because God supplied them with that physical need for their physical hunger and thirst. But again, Jesus is talking about spiritual things here. And we will never be spiritually hungry. We will never be spiritually thirsty if we come to him. And how many times do we read this in the New Testament, this invitation from Jesus to come to him? Come to me, you all you who labor and heavily laden. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. We read it here. He who comes to me will never be hungry or thirsty in the Spirit. But you see, with the manna, it was a daily thing. And for us, it's a daily thing too. Strength for today and hope for tomorrow. We can have that. And then we're never helpless. We never have that feeling of helplessness. Like we're on, in a free fall. We, we, don't feel, we don't have to feel depressed and empty. And purposeless in life and aimless. Not only does God have a plan. He has a, the power. And he has the food, the spiritual food. For our spiritual need. Food for the, for the body food for the soul. If we can trust God for our physical needs, let's trust God also for our spiritual needs. Now some people say, well, I never could do this, I never could do that, I know the Bible says this. Again, what are they looking at? They're looking at themselves. They're looking at their own strength. The Israelites looked at their own situation in the wilderness. They looked at the climate, they looked at the the, the place they were at. They looked at Moses. They looked at Aaron. And they said, what did you do? Bring us out here to kill us? We're hopeless. We're helpless. They had no faith in the power of God. In the chapter before this, John chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son, and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these, that you may marvel. And also 24 to 30. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who, will, who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Verse 33. I can, I can of myself do nothing as I, as I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my, my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Twice in this passage we just read, the first and the last verse that we read, Jesus repeats something. And what he says, and we should take note of it, he says, the Son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. And then, in verse 30, I can do nothing, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus said that to us in John 15, in the vine and the branches, without me you can do nothing. It is a similar relationship as we look at the relationship of Jesus and the Father, and He calls us in the same kind of relationship. Jesus, in His life, here on this earth, He take on human form, He was continually looking to the Father. He prayed to the Father all night before He chose His twelve apostles. There was this continual dependence on the Father that we see in the life of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says that we must bring everything captive to the obedience of Christ. It says the obedience of Christ, not the obedience to Christ. We see the obedience that Jesus had in doing the will of the Father. And that's what we're called into, the obedience that Christ had to the Father. This obedience to God this submission to God, and this looking to God that Jesus did. The obedience of Christ. Not doing things on His own. Not doing His own will. Not walking in His own way. The obedience of Christ. We see the life of Christ as a, His submission to the Father. And He didn't do anything on His own. He looked to the Father for everything that He was called to do. see the great power and authority that was granted to him by the Father. And yet, he still said, in all that he's given me to do, I can't do any of it 
on my own. Take, take heed to what Jesus said there, because he said the same thing about us. We can't do anything. We can't live this life. We can't bring every thought in our minds captive to the obedience of Christ, to have the mind of Christ, to walk that way without the power to do it, without the help from God. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as our helper. The next one is in 1 Peter chapter 3. In verse 18. Just one verse, I can read it. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And I came across this verse this week, and it kind of jumped at me. You know, because a lot of times we don't realize the, whole, the magnitude of this relationship. I said, well, if we come to Jesus, isn't that the same thing as coming to the Father? In some sense, yes, but they are different people who make up God. And the whole, this whole thing of Jesus' suffering was to bring us to the Father. Bring us to Him for what? To be adopted by Him. To be accepted by Him. To have a relationship with Him. To come to the Father through Jesus, His Son. Once again, the invitation is spoken of. Jesus suffered, says, to bring us to God. This invitation to come to God, the Father. To adopt us as his as his his he is the father and we are his children the spirit of adoption and the recognition of that is very important because otherwise when we come to, to pray we're going to feel very insecure and very unworthy and very uh, very helpless before God <laughs> and very much intimidated. Jesus suffered to bring us to God the Father. Yes, Jesus is God the Son. The Holy Spirit is God the Holy Spirit. But there's God the Father. He died to bring us. He suffered and died to bring us to the Father. It's something to meditate on in all this. To bring us to Him, to come to Him. We have need. And the last one is in Galatians chapter 3. Verses 2 to 9. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? 
having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Mm -hmm. Now this is a message of how salvation works. This is a message of the two covenants, first covenant and the second. But the message has more to it than that, to the Christian. And to the Christian, it also tells us this. The question that he says to uh, ask uh, to the Galatians is this: Did you receive the Holy Spirit by working or by believing the hearing of faith? And the answer is obvious: by the hearing of faith. Yes, there is responses of faith that come after that, and there are acts of faith that follow, where we become His workmanship. But the basic question is that, and he says. In verse 3, have you begun in the Spirit? And now we become perfect through the flesh. Are you perfected by human effort? And the answer is clearly no. And he says in verse 5, Therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you, and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? It says in the Gospel of Mark that the disciples went out everywhere preaching the Gospel and the Lord was working with them, was doing different signs and miracles, confirming the Word. But it was the act of faith that they went out and preached. The things they were doing, they were doing by faith. They were believing God. It wasn't by morality. It was by faith. And the Christian life that they lived, they lived by faith in the Son of God, like it says in Galatians 2. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. The life we now live. Not the life, the eternal life. The life that I now live, today. I live by faith in the Son of God. God commands us to do things. He commands us to repent of things. He commands us many things. And sometimes we feel frustrated and we feel hopeless because we don't see, we can't figure it out and we don't have, we don't see the power in ourselves. We don't see, you know, the necessity, the things that we need to do, we have to do in ourselves. We keep on falling on our face. Or we keep on struggling. We keep on going back to Egypt in our hearts. It is by faith we overcome these things. God has given us the new man. And he says to walk in it. It is our the new the new man is created after God in righteousness and true holiness. 
Therefore, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We walk in the Spirit as an act of faith. We live in the Spirit. He says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. It all happens by faith. Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. We live by faith. God guides us by the Holy Spirit. You see that we're, our eyes are on Him. Turn our eyes upon Jesus, like the song says. We look to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see our spiritual need. And Jesus has come to me. And be filled with the Spirit. I'll give you what you need. I'll give you pa- the power to control yourself. I'll give you power to love. I'll give you power to control your temper. I'll give you those things as you come to me. Praise the Lord. Yeah, I, 